drop. Hey there, everyone. My name is Christian Wynn, the director of StoryFort. You're listening to StoryFort Presents, Voices of Treefort Music Fest, a weekly podcast that dives into the stories behind Boise's Festival of Discovery. Treefort Music Fest brings in hundreds of artists from all over the globe every March, though March 2020 was postponed to September 2020, and now we are further postponed because of the pandemic to September of 2021. But that said, we're still here to tell you about all things Treefort, and today we have a really cool episode where we are handing over the reins to Ty Simpson, who is going to be basically just sort of running this wonderful panel of activists. We had an event that we were going to do in March, and we're planning to do in September of 2021, just called A Roadmap to Activism, and just about taking it to the streets, taking it to the people, bringing the difficult but positive changes, um, and, and making those as much as possible. And so we have um, Gabrielle. Nisha and Buki here with Ty Simpson. We're all local Boise and Idaho, just people who are doing some really important work with Black Lives Matter, with sexual and domestic violence issues, with indigenous issues, with waking people up a bit. So basically, we just handed it over to Ty, and you can hear about all these folks in the conversation, but we're also going to be posting their bios in our show notes. So take a look at those, because they have some really cool things that they've been doing out in the world, and this is what they want you to know about them in their own words. So we hope you're doing well, and this is a really cool episode, and I just went uh, behind the, the Zoom screen and just got to take it in myself and really enjoyed it, which I hope you all do as well. So here we are, a roadmap to activism. Be safe. Be well. Thanks. For it to come around and wash over me. Oh, I tried to recall. Y'all, thank you for joining me, first of all. I am so, I've been hype on this all week. Uh, like first thing, like when we were on Idaho Matters, uh, I felt like she kept interrupting like our vibe. Like we all just vibe anyway. So for her to just like keep asking questions that were irrelevant to the mood, like that frustrated me. So that's why I brought all of y'all here to this space. Uh, so back when they first started brainstorming this whole podcast, it was about like our roadmap to activism. And there was this thing that keeps coming up for me that I don't do activism. Like I'm really just trying to survive. And I feel like all of you have said something similar, which is why um, I thought of the four of you, especially in light of black lives and the work that we're doing in the community. Um, So I'll go through a handful of questions. Like you said, just keep it light. Like we are who we are. Like I think that we all vibe together. Y'all are my family for real. Like I was talking about you in therapy, like all my family though. Like, I'm taken care of. <laughs> we got big tap energy going. <laughs> hey, hey. So, like, let's just start with something easy. Like, how did how did we get here? How did we all end up in Boise, Idaho, and then end up here on this podcast? Like, and if y'all want me to model that, I can. Um, Gabby, okay, yeah, thank, thanks. Yeah, model it, model it. Let me model that. All right, y'all. So, I've been in Boise for... 15 years after living on the res for a little while, being from the Nez Perce Indian Reservation, and then before that, being in Singapore, right? So I'm one of those folks who had such a dynamic, like, worldly experience. Like, my Blackness was new to me in the early 2000s. Like, I didn't quite 
understand how to fit in quote unquote to black communities. But then I moved to Lapway, Idaho when there was like me and three other black folks who were mixed race with Nez Perce. So that was kind of its own experience, but I knew I needed like an urban setting. I went from Singapore, which is like three and a half million people to Lapway, which had 800 people. <laughs> and then I moved, finally moved back to Boise and I'm like, okay, I can, I can vibe with Boise. There's a few thousand at least. And I went to school at Boise State and man, I just had people really messing with me there that I had to start this activism journey. Like these things, they, they just come at you sideways, professors, admins, other students, like even some of the black athletes, I'm like, bro, you don't know me. Like I would fight anybody. <laughs> oh man. So eventually I just like built my life here. Here we are, your girl's here. Uh, and I'm so thankful that like our journeys eventually crossed paths, you know? So um, that's, that's my jam. That's how I ended up here. Tell me about Detroit, Gabby. Like you come from Detroit. Yes, so. <laughs> Uh, I miss my home too. So yeah, so how I got in Boise, um, uh, my wife took a job at Boise State, and then so we had to come. So I was I'm from Detroit originally. I stayed. I was born there. Stayed until I was about thirty. I want to say 30, and then I moved to Chicago. I moved to Chicago because I wanted to live in a city with mass transit. The thought of being forced to drive anywhere, like I hate it. I just wanted the option, even though I have a vehicle. Mm. to be able to hop on the train and go or walk. Welcome or to go. Idaho. Like, we don't believe in exactly. that here. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, accessible transportation? <laughs> not on our watch. Yeah, we're like, uh-uh. Mm-mm. You better get a truck. <laughs> exactly. So, so when we found out we was moving here, like, a month prior to that, me and my wife talked about selling my car because it was sitting. Like, we was functioning with one car, we would drive to the train station or walk or bike to the train station, hop on the train and go on about our business. So we're like, okay, go, let's share, you know, let's, uh, let's sell this car. And then I Google Idaho, you know, and at, at that point, I didn't know Idaho was a state. I'm like, what state is Idaho in? Like, where, where are we going? <laughs> like, I know you did not. <laughs> I've been to Ohio, Ohio before. Ohio. No, I know Iowa. <laughs> yeah, no, Iowa's fine. Let's go to Iowa. It's I'm close. like, what is that? And you know, like, when you Google stuff, and, I, and y'all probably heard me say this, but it's different where, depending on where you are when you Google it. So yeah. when I Google Idaho from Illinois, it's going to look different from when I Google Idaho from Idaho. Googled it from Idaho, saw not only was it no transit, it was, also was no black people. Court Lane popped up first. Aryan Nation popped up first. These are the things oh. that happened. Mentioned nothing about the history of and current history, current happenings with indigenous people at all. None of that. Mm-hmm. None of that. You know, so I'm just like, well, Shit, I can't sell my car now. Like, how am I going to get anywhere when I have a vehicle? So we kept the car. So I got here. Before I left there, I worked as a respiratory therapist. Was leaving that to work specifically HIV and STI um, with the LGBT population. Like, I got a degree in public health for that so I could leave respiratory. Got here. No such thing as work in those areas. Does not exist. No funding. No jobs around those things. Fell back on respiratory therapy. Um, it's interesting because I did take a job. I took a job at a local hospital, but I also adjunct at Boise State and was able to understand life both as a black professor and a black student. Mm. So I think that when, like, I'm happy our paths crossed, like the first person. I've always saw Nisha and Boise State stuff, like, heard of all types of trouble, which I enjoyed. I'm like, 
Hey. Introduced me to Buki. Was it last year? I think it was. Yeah. Last year, I'm like, how dare be two of them in the same family? (laughs) (laughs) Have you you've evidently never met Bonnie because there's three of them in the same family? Oh my god, that shit's so unfair. DNA said, "Hold up, we got this." Yeah, right. right. And so, like, I knew that, but I know they was chill. When Dele had some jollof fries from his mama, and I had some, I'm like, okay, they, my people, you know, already. I still don't know. Oh, Buki, can I get that though? Can I get that? (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. You ain't say nothing but a word. Okay. Yeah, and I still don't know. Like me and Ty was talking a couple weeks ago about how do we meet, and I still cannot put my finger on it. Like, feel happy that I know y'all and and that y'all exist. Those are things I mean. As far as yeah. activism, I you know kind of like what, what Ty mentioned. Is it is living activism? If we want to call it activism, yeah. living okay. You know, if activism for me is resilience hey. and hey. showing up in space is the best way I can. So for for me, like right. In this realm, like the last few months, is difficult because I can't physically be active as I want to be because the community I want to serve, I don't want, I can't have a dual relationship with, and I mean in counseling. So it's very difficult. Like, do I not participate so I can still serve this community as far as mental health, or do I participate and revoke their ability to use me for services because of confidentiality or ethics or, or things like that? So it's, it's, it's interesting, like, navigating spaces I can be in, places I can participate. So, yeah, for me, activism isn't activism. It's just living and surviving and being as well as you can be with, with what you have. Absolutely. And even the physical the physical obstacles to connecting with folks now. COVID is real and it's adversely affecting our communities, indigenous communities. Like we are losing our lives exponentially. So like trying to connect with everybody but in a safe way kind of changes the way activism looks and feels like, you know? Especially because Idaho ain't playing right at all. Folks here are not taking things seriously enough. I'm telling you, I got here from D.C. This is like a weird segue, but I got here from D.C. and it was so, like, boggling my mind because it seemed as if nobody understood the, like, the seriousness. It was, I was wearing a mask and folks were looking at me weird. I don't know whether or not it was because I was wearing a mask because I was black. Either or, both, both. both. And so at that point, I just kind of like I never, you know, stopped wearing a mask, but it was always like an extra concern of safety, you know, wearing a mask, which is crazy because I was, you know, trying to play it safe. Mookie, you know what? When this, when this, like the world started closing down, of course, Idaho was last, but when the rest of the world started like closing down because of COVID, I was in DC. Like when this happened, I was, I was in DC. It was my anniversary and I was there. Like I went for a conference that got canceled once we was on the plane. So a whole nother thing. Oh. So we just started yeah, so to parlay. Like, well, we're here. We got, we got the hotel room. So let's go, you know, let's go to museums and, and do all that. And they they canceled everything. We got to the museum the day. They closed the Smithsonian for like the first time in the wrong time, like the day after we went, right? And so when we was coming back to Idaho, it was interesting, like being like we flew out of Baltimore because it was cheaper, you know, and like everybody had masks on and was practicing social distancing like physical distancing excuse me and doing all that and like the closer we got like you got we got to utah and people like all up on each other like not listening at all boise like what is a mask what is physical distancing like just coming back from the east coast back here it shows how backward 
it can be in like thought presses or thought processes around safety. Like just try something. Okay, you don't know if masks work. Okay, but do it anyway. Mm-hmm. You, know? you know what? I think that it teaches us a message for sure about just the ways that our community like prioritizes safety and wellness, especially for the bodies who are most vulnerable. And that also, y'all. I swear, that also was another message from our ancestors. I swear they literally be like, I don't care where you are in the world or the U.S. I said, hang out. <laughs> now. <laughs> I wanted us to cross paths. Ruki, I welcome you. Would you like to share your story, how you came to the big old Boise area, how you came into activism, all of that? Why you was in D.C.? <laughs> So yeah, I've actually, so crazy. I came to America when I was a younging. I was four going on five, which is so funny because we lived actually in Ontario, Oregon for the first like four years of my life in America. And so that was from 2004 to 2008. And those were literally the most lonesome experiences I've ever dealt with just because we were literally like I'm not even fibbing one of the two black families in the entire town so I saw my mom go through it specifically and then I saw you know the effects of me and how it affected my family my family unit how we functioned I saw you know the police were called on my brother like when I was like five years old and Delhi was like seven from a neighbor so like I've always like understood I've always like visibly seen it so but it was just like something that you know traditionally just how it is you know it's always kind of like you just sit and you observe you don't really do anything not you don't take action steps just because of you know culture and tradition and you know growing up I realized I was like to hell with that the basis of we talk about a lot where you know like our activism as survival and I talk about it like my entire life is political every single part of me every single identity everything that I do is political so like I literally like I literally cannot exempt myself from conversations that need to be had or you know steps or, or excuse me movements that need to be made to ensure my safety to ensure you know that my struggles are valid so <laughs> Growing up in Idaho as a young, black, immigrant, dark-skinned woman, it was literally some of the worst experiences of my life. I kind of just grew up just being so angry and so spiteful, but not like angry to the point where, you know, I didn't know what to do with that anger. I was just always just angry Um, until like my freshman year in which my brother actually joined the speech and debate team and he kind of like was showing me, um, you know, the importance of, you know, dialogue and conversation and things like talking about important social topics, because I never really like had the platform to do it. But, you know, I've always, I I was always vocal in like my classroom settings, but it just kind of seemed off because it was always me versus like 27 other students. And um, like, I remember reading their eyes are watching God in like seventh grade. I call it my angry black girl awakening. And like, I was so angry about this book and I wanted to do all these things. But like, all my classmates were like, why are you so, you know, serious about it? Like, it's just a book, like it happened so long ago. And I was like, you don't get it. Like the things that she talks about in this book are still happening to this day. Like, what don't you understand? So it was just super lonesome. And um, that brought me, that culminated to my high school career where I was just like, I just can't, you know, like sit idly anymore. And so I joined the coalition and that's how, you know, I started my journey as an organizer and activist. And literally I am so grateful for the experiences um, that I've gotten 
due to the coalition. It was something that I could just never even have imagined and even culminated to me, you know, starting my tenure at Howard. I currently attend Howard in Washington, D.C., which is why I was able to be in D.C. with Gabby, but not knowing that we were in the same place at the same time, you know. And I attend literally one of the best HBCUs in the country with other Black people. Like, I'm literally learning about Black history, about these things that I was so angry about in middle school and high school with other Black folks, finding solutions, creating dialogue, creating conversations. And so that's kind of like my journey as an activist. It was always just kind of entrenched somehow in my life, but I never really knew how to exercise it fully. And now I do, and it's boggling to me because I always say it's like, man, bro, if like six-year-old Buki could see how I am to this day, she would be in tears because I've literally become the person that I always needed. And like, it's so crazy. It's so crazy to me. Oh, that's the most powerful thing you could have ever said, right? Like, I'm going I'm to I'm invite Nisha to tell us to tell us the story of their people. Yo. However, our question after this is like, what advice would you give to your younger self, right? Especially on this activism journey. Like, if this is the roadmap, who did we need to be? Like, who do we need when we were 6, 10, 15, 20? I mean, Buki, you're still on that, that younger end of the spectrum. <laughs> But I know 20-year-old me was an asshole and didn't know how to do this work. So I know what I would tell 20-year-old me. But Nisha, please tell us. Tell us. Yes, I appreciate you also letting us know the question. That one's one I want to think about for a second. So you got my back, as always. <laughs> hmm, okay, introduction. So how I came to the big old Boise. So I'm not from Boise. I'm from, proudly, Caldwell. We call it the 2C, you know. Um, <laughs> I had lived there my entire life. I grew up in like a little area called Manchester Park, which honestly, like it was a night, like it was a suburban neighborhood. It's really not anything wild. And I remember Manchester being the neighborhood known for like all of the kids in trouble and all of the gangs and drugs. And basically it was just like a brown neighborhood is essentially what it was. And I grew up, like if I were, so we came to Boise when I was in my senior year of high school. I knew I was going to be going off to school soon. I was excited for college. That was something that was a possibility for me. And my mom didn't want to be on her own. And I didn't want my mom to be on her lonesome when I was going off to university and she was stuck on her own in Caldwell. So we came to the big city to make sure that she'd be closer to friends and things to do. And Coming into activism is another question. That one, I still, like y'all said, I'm just echoing everything that y'all have said. I use activism as a word that I know that most folks will be receptive to and understand a little bit of what I do and what I orient my life around when I say it. So I came into like more community organizing, um, but like y'all said, I've always been in community. I've always been aware of the struggle. Um, so I came into organizing just like in little waves throughout my life, y'all. I swear, I was like the corny little kid who was like in elementary school, like, I'm braiding bracelets for Africa and they're each going to be 50 cents and I'll give the dollar that I raised collectively to my mom. She'll put it in an envelope to Africa. Safe, safe, saved. Um, so like I did corny stuff like that forever but then it started getting more outspoken in classes just as like teachers would just say awful stuff about how like 
black people's hair was greasy, you know? And I'd be like, actually, you don't know what. Um, apparently in third grade, we're le learning about Jackie Robinson. It was my turn to popcorn read. And I like slammed my fists on my desk and was like, how does it feel to know your people treated my people like this? So Lovey <laughs> 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 <Lovie> always <laughs> has some oh. minute, but I swear it was my oh. senior year of high school. Yes. I decided to do like my first rally of my own because it had been everything had been popping off in Baltimore um oh my timeline's not working correctly I'm pretty sure we had just witnessed the loss of Sandra Bland Freddie Gray had just lost his life in police custody and it was my senior year I kind of knew I didn't really have like a lot to lose quote unquote just because I knew I was going to go off to school soon so I was like I'll be loud let me say something and so that's what I did. And then through that, it just became more of a narrative. I came to Boise State at one point throughout my education and found community there, started being more outspoken there. Um, I, made, I found a home at the coalition. The coalition picked me up after seeing some of my work and it just became something where I finally was able to like actually build my life around the things that I'd always built my life around um but again just to kind of tie all of our narratives together it's funny like Buki and I literally we went to school in the same town like I literally I tell high school me went to high school Buki's game like basketball games hey. I, Gaffney and I crossed paths so many times on campus we're in so many spaces with each other Ty I literally feel as if like I've known you forever it's always been like Ty blah 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 Ty blah 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 and so it's just wild that it unfortunately it took a lot of crisis for all of us to lean on each other in different ways or just different communal response. But I think that was the way we started leaning on each other and really recognizing the wholeness of each other. But our ancestors damn well said, hey, I'm gonna give you 50 opportunities until y'all talk, okay? <laughs> right into each other, right? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Anisha, thank you, all of you. Thank you for sharing those narratives. Like where I'm at in this though is like, uh, and I'm even going to, so I'm gonna just going to segue us into this question, though. Like, what would I tell 20-year-old Thai, 15-year-old Thai, especially the Thai that was trying to navigate mix, being mixed-race Black and Indigenous, being mixed-race um, that presents as Black but has not nappy hair, that has not, like, coarse, like, all of these, like, physical superficial identifiers to white folks, right? Because it doesn't matter in the big picture. Like, none of the superficial shit matters. But just like in real life, like, where where am I going to find a home in Idaho, Lapway, Idaho? I went to College of Idaho for a while, by the way. Y'all, so I was in the hood while y'all were out there. <laughs> you see? Like even just thinking about that now, like how we all come back to each other. So we're going to talk about this. Like we're going to talk about like what we would tell our younger selves. And then the, then the question after that, I think I would love us to explore is like, what is our goal collectively? Because I don't feel like I have goals on my own anymore. Like I lean on y'all like to validate some of these things that I wish for in our community. And so we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute, but Man, 15-year-old tie, 20-year-old tie. Yo, um, I I really love, like, when Beyonce's Lemonade came out, right? Like, that was the album that taught every Black woman to love herself, her curves, her, like, her cellulite, her stretch marks, her body, her boob, like, all of that. Like, when that album came out, 
everything that I ever had doubts about went away. And it was because I'm hearing it in music and I'm seeing it in other black women and femme folks. Like it was an incredible moving album. And then EJ Oma, Aluyo's article in response to the lemonade, like all of that was about how black women really show up in the world, but folks don't really show up for us. So we build community together. So if I were ever to tell Younger Ty something, it would be to find all the black women and femme folks and build a tribe, right? Like build your community as soon as you possibly can of black folks and then work from there. Like that would be it. Because right now y'all are doing it for me. Like it's taking me till 36 to do this. And it's so fulfilling. Like I have a lot of life just being in this space right now. I feel a lot of like connection when we do this work in community, when we are activists, even in like some of these instances of like heightened fear and heightened emotion and the threats, like I've, my people got me, my ancestors got me, y'all got me. Like I wish somebody would, to be completely honest, because we got each other. <laughs> the power of a group chat or like a cookout or like a little debrief on the way yeah. after something. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, so ask you a question. Oh, what was that, Abby? Also these hands. Oh, the power of these hands, period. I love it. Ty, I was going to ask, okay, so you say you would tell your younger self to, like, find a circle of black folks. Obviously, like, I mean, it's kind of, like, hard to, like, you know, like, you see, like, the group of black girls or something together, and you're like, hey, like, what did that, what could that look like? Or, like, what are a couple ways you could encourage younger versions of self or younger folks out there, folks looking for community, period? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that colonization and even like these really poor misrepresentations of who black folks are in the media did a lot of damn damage to me. I grew up in predominantly white neighborhoods with predominantly white folks in predominantly white schools. And somehow in that, I separated myself from black people when I didn't need to. Like I still have a common experience. I was still tokenized. People still tried to touch my hair. I still suffered the microaggressions. I had more in common with black folks than I did with white folks. But I was still like defending white people and all of that. So that 15 year old self would stop judging other black people so harshly. I would stop being petty to other black people I came in contact with because that's what I was doing, thinking that I'm on the right side of history with all of that colonized, internalized oppression nonsense, right? That's the thing. And maybe even that's a bit of the advice, right? Let go of that internalized oppression, like be and stand wholly in who I am as a black indigenous woman so that I can build community because I wasn't doing that at 15 or 20 years old. And it caused a lot of harm to myself, to my family, to my people. Yeah. So that's a good question. Thank you for that. But I'm also speaking from a place like I was in Singapore when I was 15. So the folks there were black folks who were, who had, um, military parents when there was a base in Singapore. So there were black folks there. I just didn't know how to connect because I felt like I had separated myself from them or even was made myself better, quote unquote, than them because I didn't have that experience. I had never seen a hood. My dad made sure that we didn't, like I never had to endure that kind of suffering. I get what my dad was doing by separating us, but that was a whole different kind of struggle separating us, right? I don't know, so many multiple complexities in that, but if I had to go back, building communities of color with my people like that, that would be something I really wish my 15-year-old self had done. I hear that. You know, Especially talking, just like connecting to yourself and like being able to, breaking down those like colonized thought processes, being able to connect with yourself, which also brings you, of course, closer to community. 
Gabby, what magic were you going to share with us? You know what? Me and Dele had a conversation. This was back when Dele still lived on Boise State campus, right? And I don't know what came up, but we, me and Dele would have these long. He would come down to our apart, to you know, the apartment. We had these talks, and we were talking about his experience with. And this is a conversation he won't care. We've talked about it, you know, in front of other folks. Um, with like having uh, black friends and how that looks, and and we were talking about the time he was in class, and that his even though it was black men in the class who were also students, he never found himself sitting with them. Um, and they never attempted to sit with him. And that disconnect from where when you grow up in places where the predominance of black folks is in the uh, zero category, like how you automatically align with white folks, even if it's black folks there, you know. So, for instance, and I see it all the time, like living on Boise State campus, I'll see, you know, black men, uh, usually football players, let's be honest, from the football team walking together, or if from other athletes, I'm telling you, they said that's literally the only black folks Boise State has. Like, I wish, I wish we could say it ain't athletes, but we wouldn't know because that's how Boise State got. They got us and four others. There was like one black guy in the tennis team, even, and I was like, wait, what tennis, bro? Like, like sir, no. really? <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, to see, so you see these these black men walking together all the time and then you see black men who've only existed in Idaho with only white friends um, or only finding their way like walking around with, with white people and that's because the forced norm comes along with that colorblind shit you know because you've grown up with that same ideology even though you're black um, like, well, you know, these are my friends. We grew up together. And, and the problem with that is that we, you know, humans inherently, and I used to be one of these people too, attach longevity to friendship. Well, we've been friends 20 years. No, you, you knew me for 20 years. We, we haven't been friends 20 years, just so we're clear. Like, you might have, we might have shared a classroom, but we, had, we don't have these friends. And how that changes. And when I had these conversations with Della and other, like, black students, uh, because I'm preparing, I'm like, listen, you about to leave. And nobody trying to stay here. You know, like students specifically, when I talk to students, I'm like, listen, what's happening here right now, this is not there. You know, when you leave, it's not going to be you, Chad, and Todd. It's going to be, you know, you, you, Dre, and Chris. Like, these are, these are things that, that's, you know. Ooh. Chad and Todd are going to stay in Eagle. I don't care about you. You know he don't care about you. Yeah, just so we clear. I said, and I told him, and we was talking about you, like you, you, you know, Buki or Howard. I said, when you leave and you go to whatever amazing school you're gonna get into, especially since you killed that MCAT, it's gonna be different. Delay here, it's a thousand delays where you going. It's yeah. a thousand delays. Not saying that you ain't shit. You know, like you can't do all these things because you can, but just know that you might not be that dude there. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels good though. Like it doesn't feel good, good to go into a room and be the only black person. It doesn't feel it's, exceptional. It doesn't feel no, miraculous. To walk so in and be like, oh, there are yes. people who look like me. Okay. Right. Right. Because right. you know everybody here. And this is like the trouble I have with some Idahoans, and I'm not going to say any names, but black, some black Idahoans. That's this going to get you in trouble, Ty, because this is your podcast, basically. But some <laughs> black Idahoans. That's either been here their whole life, 
or been here too long, but have never experienced anything else. You know, with that being a caveat, they mm -hmm. stay here because they can be that person. So it's very easy to be exploited and tokenized here. I, I've made so much money in things unrelated to respiratory care since I've been to Idaho because it's not enough black queer people willing to speak a lot, which is not a problem. It, it, it's, they don't have to, but because I'm chosen. So my identities are making me money. However, when I lived in Chicago, I didn't need to say all the shit I, I have to say in Idaho because everybody else doing it. And I felt great. But sometimes it's, you know, people enjoy being a big fish in a small pond, which is why certain people, again, I won't say no names. I mean, I might say names. <laughs> Point them out. Point them out. I mean, nah. I might. <laughs> Accountability is not bullying, y'all. Accountability is not bullying. Sorry. Right. You know, that, that won't leave. Yeah. They, they like that limelight for the wrong reason. It's different to be in the spotlight because of good things you did and, and actions of allyship versus attempting to constantly be in the spotlight because of things you've done or yeah. uh, attempting to be, you know, a better ally. Here's what I'm going to say, because we struggle with a couple of different truths as black folks in Idaho, right? Mediocrity as a tokenized person of color is exceptional here, but we have to be exceptional to be successful in the collective community of folks of color in the world, right? So like, it's a really interesting like accountability within community and then transparency and accountability within a white community, right? Like I don't, I'm not here for the mediocrity. I'm not here for the laziness. I'm not here for harmful behavior. I'm not here for the, well, but Chad and Todd said, no, I'm not here for any of that. Like Chad and Todd can take a seat so can the misogynoir, so can all of that like hotep nonsense. I'm gonna call out hoteps too. I said yeah. what I said. <laughs> the, the movement, the real movement, the liberation, the real liberation includes all of us. And we don't have to include mediocrity or harm just because it's under the guise of being brown. And in Idaho, we don't have a lot of brown or black. And so we think that we have to stick with it all. Which, I mean, it's also one of those, sometimes I notice like, because we have that, like, we have to stick together kind of mentality. Like, there's only four of us, so we really got to band together and we better, there's got to be no exceptions. It has to be under all the conditions. I noticed we were having a meeting last week and there was a black person in that meeting who had a position of power in the meeting. And it was one of those, we were like, it was in a Zoom. And it was one of those where, like, we were... You could tell that there was energy of wanting to connect and like affirm each other and to give each other recognition and acknowledgement. But the entire time, it was just very like subtle, very nuanced. And I think we can pick up on those things just because like it's literally ancestral to like do the little gestures or to like say the little mentions that are like discreet and um, more whispered. But it was just very interesting to be in that space both understanding that we couldn't give too much recognition because if we had too much power, they were going to catch on and they were going to do something. So it's just very interesting the myriad ways that we do come together as black folks here, whether it's just like real under the table, whether we're like literally like banded together or like we have to be best friends or suddenly there's a new person in the meeting or the office or the restaurant or whatever and you have to like have a crush on each other. There's just so many ways that we're put <laughs> towards each other or away each other for literally no other reason being black and I swear y'all if I get one more tagged post with me and some other black person I've never met or some other org that I'm oh, not working with part. just because we both dark I'm a no. I flip out why do you think I roll up like 
I give updates on my Facebook, on my social media regularly. Like, don't tag me in anything. Don't slide into my DMs with dumb shit. I'm not here for that. Not, not at all. Yo. Oh, goodness. Uh, actually okay, so wait. So, Gabby, was that something? Oh, was that something that you were going to tell your younger self? No, no. You just said something. I'm just like, oh. What I would tell my younger <laughs> self is, girl, come on out. <laughs> <laughs> We be talking for hours. We're all, wait, were we saying something? <laughs> yeah. Come on out, family. <laughs> because we like to say, and again, back to racism, this thing, and unfortunately, it's more tied to um, cisgender black males, like this thing, where if you are a queer person, if you are gay, where you are taking, you know, masculinity back. And again, of course, that's also attached to racism and enslavement, but that's a whole nother, whole nother podcast. So, so for me, it was like not come out, don't come out um, because I'm gay, but don't come out so I won't embarrass um, black folks. Not knowing that it's a, a bunch of other black folks that just haven't came out yet. So you go through this pretending to do what's right. You know, again, that's related to racism and also this this idea of what's being right is related to Christianity. Mm. So it's all these things. So I go through these years younger younger too like when i was pretending you know i had a lot of, i had a boyfriend that, the last boyfriend i had was i think i was like 19 or 20 man play him so bad but <laughs> you know but try you know like shout out to his feelings right. hey, <laughs> but we're trying to do that no, I had a gang of women I was kicking it with too, like just trying to be that 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 person to hold up, like it was attached to my blackness or the black community. Like, so racism had a lot to do with me coming out, although homophobia is a is a real thing too. And I think it wasn't until um, like I moved out, and and that's the difference with, with black queer people. Well, with black people already is this thing of get the fuck out when you graduate. You know, like, what are you doing? Are you going to school or getting a job? And as gener it's nice to see as generations change that, you know, a lot of uh, guardians are encouraging them to stay, you know, like, to, to stay at home and go to school or, you know, do whatever makes you whatever gap year is, because that's the thing now that parents are allowed. I don't know. That that wasn't a, a option. There was yeah, no gap year I, just, I just talked about that gap year thing the other night. Like, I feel like I'm fortunate on my indigenous side of the family where my mama was like, if you're in school, you can be here. Like, intergener like there's several generations in one household and in indigenous communities. Yeah. It's, a, it's a kinship model, and kinship is about making sure that there are, are enough resources for everybody, that nobody has to leave the home to struggle. Like, there's nothing good that comes from the struggle because we've normalized the struggle, right? And that's not yeah. exactly we can decolonize all of that. There's enough. There's enough room. There's enough food. There's enough energy. Like, it we got is. enough. And I honestly don't think, like, with my generation, it was just always idea, like, what are you doing when you turn 18, when you graduate? And I really don't think my mother would have put me out. I think it was more of, and I think this for a lot of parents, it was more of a push for you to do something. Don't just be sitting around um, when you graduate. So if, for me, it would be like, come out and do your thing, boo, because, you know, the things that you, you care about, and this is patriarchal about what men like, uh, which involves you changing things about yourself or your body. Women like all that shit, and you don't have to change nothing. Uh, hey, I wish come years. out and do you, boo. Like I wish I could have been in these streets back then, yo. Like, <laughs> like the exploration is like and Nisha and Buki and, and Dele and Ryan. I talk about them all the time, and I always use the word, and I, I really need to work on not using it. 
is when I say younger folks, and that's because I feel proud. Because yeah. that, when I was twenty, I wasn't shit. Like, <laughs> I wasn't shit. I was nothing. Like you, I, was I doubt that. Stuff. I don't know your past self, <laughs> I mean, but I'm fighting for your past self, real quick. Oh my god! Like I, I don't know how I survived without anything, which is a whole nother podcast I, I was doing a bunch of stuff and i look and i'm like damn i talked to my wife about like what was i doing nothing not a thing so to see y'all like it, it gives me joy that's why i'm always reaching out like what can i do to help you i don't need to do it too but how can i support you because i'm like damn i wish that you know i would have had the gumption and the, the courage and not the courage but i would have valued my existence as much as they do now Mm -hmm. at, that, at that same age so I, i'm super proud and that's why i participate the way i participate now. hey and bookie that's a great like lead into like where you're at like you're the baby sister like i can't tell you how proud of you i am like every time i talk about my activism i'm like let me introduce you to bookie like going to howard you represent all of us but no pressure right like i don't want you to feel that pressure but you know <laughs> my like, business cards literally have a picture of bookie on them and yeah old information it ain't even my anything not yeah. my, my pronouns, not my position, not nothing. Yes, I'm about to put Buki's social media in my link tree. Like, y'all need to follow Buki. Hey, cap energy, y'all. Hey, Buki, what would you what would you tell your younger self, sis? Where are you at? And what's so crazy is that my younger self was struggling. Oof, like up until probably I would like. 15, 16, I was just like, that's what I'm saying. I was so idle. Like, I was, I didn't know what to do. And what you were talking about earlier, Ty, I was, um, I was going to segue into that because you were talking about how you tried to remove yourself. And I kind of did the same thing. You know, I had a group of friends in which they were so, like, obscenely white, so much they were clear that I was just like, um, <laughs> I was just trying to be a part of them as much as I could and um you know like they would say things and like I would just let everything rock just because I just wanted to be them I really wanted to be I wanted to be Anna Nicole Smith like y'all y'all think I'm playing with you but it was just like my yeah. life was an episode of like white chicks for a little while it was, no. it was. <laughs> and nobody got it and the thing that was, hurt oh, for just a second because I was like wait there yep y'all yep. did that too <laughs> like for example like I would have like you know folks like especially black men they would come up to me and they would be like oh like you know they love they snarky comments talk about oh so you pretty for a black girl and I'd be like yeah I am like these other black girls are blase blase like I would literally attack my own people and it was literally just because I wanted you to recognize me like and imagine it's so crazy because like even uh, now see it's because if I would have, like, tapped, like, if I really could have, like, if 20-year-old Buki could have talked to 15-year-old Buki, I would have been like, yo, bro, get it together. Like, this isn't it for you. Like, understand this. Like, this community here, you don't have to, it doesn't always have to look like this. Like, I was talking about that a couple of days ago, where, like, you know, like, especially with everything that was happening, um, I'm so, like, I'm so disappointed that COVID happened, because literally, if I would have been, you know, in D.C. when everything was exploding with George Floyd, with Breonna Taylor, with Amud Arbery, like on the HBCU campus, that would have looked completely different in my organizing, my my healing, my grief, my my grieving versus like doing that here. Um, 
you know, my little sister, she was getting so frustrated, like, why don't people get it? Oh, my goodness. Da, 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 da. And she felt so alone. I'm like, Bonnie, like, I need you to understand that this is not it. Like, there are other places, there are other pockets where you can find joy. They exist. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't always have to be the educator. It's not for you. Like, it's, I literally, that was my entire Howard essay when I was applying was that I'm so tired of always being the educator. Like, for one time, I just really just want to be educated. You know, that whole big fish in a little pond, when you're the big fish, everybody looks for you for answers. And I was so tired of that. I was so exhausted from that that I decided that it was like, I, I needed to just go. Like, by any means, I just needed to go. And so that's how I found myself in D.C., surrounded by so many black folks and that's what I'm saying like the fact that I even got there was like one in a million it it boggles my mind to this day how I'm still like I'm so lucky I'm so so lucky and I'm taking it all in and I'm just so excited but like what I was saying like six-year-old Buki to tell her that you know she was going to be going to the Howard D. Howard University. The Howard University. What? The with me yeah literally faint because she was like first of all she wouldn't know what howard was she'd be like what's howard man you would be like it's a bunch of black people she'd be like huh you go there there are other black folks in this world outside of idaho that don't make you feel bad for speaking your mind or doing all these things you know they don't you know always have these backhanded compliments you don't always have to be the one you know um justifying or analyzing I'm telling y'all I'm tired of always being the one that I was analyzing the text in my classrooms from all the like pieces about we read um their eyes are watching God in class and it was like everybody was like all right Buki decipher like huh like what y'all all, the head, all the head swivels in class right they said so- in the civil rights movement and all the little like white faces turned to you <laughs> they thought I was the negro but the teacher favorite. does too <laughs> yeah the teacher does too <laughs> teacher's like Civil rights movement and go only black yes, bro the negro like, could have gave me a heads up, up to plan curriculum <laughs> if it was like frederick Douglass or tupac they would look at you for answers like doesn't matter who what when or why so it was just like you know what i'm saying so i just i the biggest thing i would just tell me when i was younger which is like i'm still young so it kind of it's weird but i would just be like hey bro keep holding on you almost there it gets better. There is light at the end of the tunnel, and the tunnel is black. <laughs> yes. Yes. The light at the end of the tunnel is black. I'm a oh, we can that on my chest. Right now. Put yeah. that on my wall. <laughs> <laughs> Title screensaver. Oh, so good. Oh, did y'all drop wisdom then? Was that all of you? Or Nisha, did you need to talk? I'm still having, you know, I'd be sitting here trying to jot down a couple notes. Mm. Little me probably was taking notes too. I'm oh, a Capricorn. I'm here for little Nisha too. <laughs> it was probably color coordinated. Um, shoot, little me, I wrote down two things that came to mind. I think little me would just like you said, Ty. Like, I younger me just really needed a community, and I think that I had like folks I could lean on and be vulnerable with and those things but like I didn't always I had great friends I didn't have great folks to be accountable to and Ty you also really taught me a lot about that just throughout the last couple months like who are you accountable to how do these people make you better how do these people call you in out or sideways or whatever if there's an issue so just like 
yes, I would say having community. And I would also just tell little me to like have folks who make you like find the friends who you are a better person with every time after you leave their house or hang out with them. Yeah. Um, that for me. I would also tell like, little that- me that like you, Oh, what? Well, go, 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 time. No, I was just going to, I'm echoing that. Y'all, y'all are that for me now. Like, I'm fortunate I found it at, in my mid-30s rather than waiting my whole life, right? Like, this is, this is, like, y'all leave my house and I'm like, oh, there were black people here, you know? <laughs> at the tattoo shop the other day, I was like, yo, there's magic here. I'm here for all that. Wherever there are black people, there is magic. I love that. No, I love that. I love that. The other thing I was going to tell younger me was just that, like, we really have everything we need. And like, I'm still figuring that out right now. Um, Like when I always used, I mean, I always used to think there was a reason why something couldn't be done or things couldn't be better. Cause I always got a reason for why things couldn't be better or why we couldn't have this or why I shouldn't be able to do that. And so just realizing that like, we have everything we need, whether that's resources to do the unimaginable, whether that's just like internally, like being equipped with the patience and the grace and all of the things that we doubt. Um, but that also includes like, we have everything we need. Like you, I, little me, you don't need to know the answers. You can literally just say it and then move through the rest with power. Like just, you have everything you need and you need folks to be and little me went, okay. And we would have had the best time ever because that's what liberation makes you feel like. Hey, hey repeat that last part though, because we lost you a little bit. Like little little Nisha said what? And then it was hey. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> little Nisha said, okay. And we would have had the best time ever because that's what liberation does. It makes you feel good. Makes you want to join on. I'm here for that. Y'all, this is so great. Like my cup is filled all the way up. So I'm gonna like redirect our I like our last question. I think it'll be our last question. Um, so we talk about like in activists, like we all have big goals and big visions for the world. Right. But Dele said recently, the joy, our joy is the revolution. So let's talk a little bit about that. Like this, our activism is headed in that direction. So like, what does joy look and feel like for each of us? And maybe it's a collective answer in that, right? I'm not going to model that because y'all do so much better with joy than I do. That's for sure. I'm about to be over here writing, taking notes and shit. Yeah. <laughs> what does joy look and feel like on our, Bookie, you, you are like, a joy joy sis let's go i'll think about boogie for my joy you know no i love it i love i'm a very like here's what i be saying like the world literally is created for me to be to be sad and angry and spiteful and bitter and all of these things and while those are valid emotions and absolutely and yes I get into those moments like I'm I'm always find joy because joy is literally an act of resistance as a black woman like that in itself for me to laugh yep in the face of everything that I face yeah it makes everybody around me who's trying to suppress me uncomfortable because it's like whoa like what how what huh and it's just the fact that I know for a fact that internally I got it like I got it and my community got it and like at every rally at every protest at everything at the vigil I was dancing like I'm gonna always dance all the time we bring food and we bring music and we bring dance yes we gonna dance 
we gonna laugh. There's like I'm saying, like black folks be so funny because we can crack a joke out of anything. Yes. Everything, bro. You can literally I'd be looking at Nisha cracking jokes in the most serious of times. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. It's okay <laughs> to laugh. Like that's what I'm saying. Like literally the amount of times Anisha and I have organized together and it's like so serious and I'll look at you <laughs> and like you'll look at me. And like we're just both just like I remember you we like literally almost cried one time over bananas itself. Yo, we literally, <laughs> we literally was cutting bananas so stressed over this event one time. I never laughed so hard. Like resistance can be anything. Resistance is cutting bananas, y'all. It could be cutting bananas, but just seeing that, you know, that that I just, I don't know. Like I think joy in itself, like you can find joy in small moments. You don't always have to be joyous, but you can find joy in small moments, things that make you happy, things that can allow you to take a deep breath. You know, Ty, in in the the tattoo parlor, I I didn't even want to find joy, but I found it with you, with Dalton, Mm -hmm. with Jada, with my little sister, you know, and everybody was looking at us. Okay, you can look, what's good, what's up, what you want? So uncomfortable, but you know what? That's what, you're welcome, white You're welcome. You like to hear me laugh, first of all. Yeah. Yeah, Kiki. Five people of color in a tattoo parlor, the whole world shakes. Yeah. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Building, yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. That was a a posse, y'all had a posse, that was a gang. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. A gang. Gang. <laughs> with the gang with the mob, and that's what I'm saying. Like even with Delhi, like Delhi, like I'm telling you, me and my brother, that's like he, he is my right hand. Like he is my go-to, um, and you know, all the times throughout everything that was happening when we were growing up, I think that was kind of what made Joy a coping mechanism. Is that you know, even after like my mom might have whooped us, like we both would have like blasted our our uh what's it called speakers and just start dancing you know like mm-hmm. crying and whatever but just started dancing and <laughs> it created a place of solidarity and Della and I like to this day we will dance like he will call me on FaceTime and we will dance over the phone while I'm in DC because that's just something that we always just we also soulless yeah we find solace and healing in so I think it's just taking those small moments that you can and enjoying them fully and completely because you don't always get them especially when you're fighting for your life literally every Every single day day. every day you know like joy is is in our DNA and Buki something you just said Buki so like we're talking about laughing at the absolute worst time like you know damn well you shouldn't be laughing and there is a joke to be cracked there's always a joke to be cracked, right? Every time. <laughs> All the time. And I'm thinking because, so, like, y'all spent more time in Idaho than me. We spent all this time geographically separated. Buki, yo, your family came to America, right? So these are things. So these are things. Hear me out. Black people, I don't know if this is a culture thing or this is a geography thing, but black funerals, First of all, they're not called funerals. And I don't, again, this could be like a Detroit, a Southern thing, a Midwest thing. They're not called funerals. Talk they're called home shit, Come on, you're right, you're right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you got to say everything. You, people be okay. coming up. They've got real bold fingers on social oh. media. Oh, my God. So we at a funeral. Like, so my wife is white. So we go, I take her to the, this first black funeral. I'm trying to prepare, like, listen. Because I know all y'all do is pass out bookmarks and listen to elevator, elevator music. And <laughs> that's what I do. You know, they be having that little bookmark with the face on, and it'd be like a prayer. A bookmark with the face on it, so when you think of Eleanor. Yeah, like, oh my goodness. And it'd be laminated, but the laminated never be right. It'll never be like the right, you know, and they give it to you. 
How you gonna do exactly. granny like that? It's creepy. Exactly. <laughs> so, I, so I'm trying to prepare like, listen, this not what you used to, this not it. You know, like, listen, this is a whole other thing. We about to have fun. So we go in this church, church packed. And we got, like, I brought one of my friends. We had singers. We had all, nobody said the word funeral. They never talked about death. It's always a home going. We, we have a memory. Yeah, we're some crying or whatever. But after the funeral, we having a party. The repass, that is a party. Turn up for that journey home, y'all. Turn up for the journey. Oh, my God. We're oh going to change clothes. It's, yep. a, it's clothes change. It's a DJ. And it's food. Yeah. After we just finished crying about somebody being dead, you know. So at some point, she was like, I felt bad because I felt happy at the funeral. I'm like, Wish everybody was happy, too. You know, like, yeah. it's more happiness than sad. And, but the fact that, Buki, you came to America, and we all geographically separate. separate. The, the ability to find joy in moments we are not supposed to, mm-hmm. based on racism also, which is a whole other thing, is revolution. That yeah. is activism. Like, how dare you be happy? How dare you smile? You know, such and such, just that. Racism you know? is never convenient. Like, it ain't never sent no Google Calendar invite. I've yeah. never had a microaggression come at, like, my convenient 815 block. So it's just one of those, like, if joy comes unexpectedly and I get a hold that bitch for 15 minutes, yep. I'm going to squeeze her so tight and I'm going to just be happy that she's here. Yeah. I'm gonna be so that happy she's even. Here. That's what I'm saying. You take every moment. If you could just kiki with your soul <laughs> with a smooth 15 seconds that that in itself just like a burden your yeah. shoulders just relax right you and that's the literal reason we need to, why social media is important like yeah. I got certain people's pages I go to they might not even be doing nothing but I'm like I'm gonna find something funny yeah. or you know yeah. like oh, let me go be shady let me go of black people laughing yeah. <laughs> yeah. or I'm about to be real shady let me hurry and go on social media that's gonna bring me some joy like, <laughs> Yo, black Twitter, what? It's black like Twitter is Twitter. Black Twitter <laughs> Yo. Oh. <laughs> I got on Twitter. No. Not really so much on Twitter anymore, but twi- like black Twitter, black TikTok now. Like we just be make that video you sent today, Misha. Like, <laughs> the one, yo, if white people, if black people talk to white people, how will white people talk to black people? Yo. Uh, what was the one he said? It said, he said, uh, what was the names? He was like Dylan, Phil, Phil. Dylan. You know, it was like Daniel and Craig. Daniel, <laughs> <laughs> this guy came up said something so messed up, and he was like, "Oh, I'm so sorry, Daniel." He's all, "That's not my name." <laughs> <laughs> I know for sure we've all had that moment. I know for like, sure. I'm not like I'm not Becky. What like that's or the the, the European? They talk about I'm volunteering at a European orphanage. That's my biggest pet peeve. No. Like, those sweet white boys and girls. Here, I took a picture. You want to see one? Oh, that video, y'all. Just joy. Just joy. joy. Like, I've, I really adopted all. And what's funny is, like, I sent it to my brother because he's got a whole lot of, like, rural redneck white friends and so like they say that like they said that shit to me when we were teenagers right like my big brother big black dude's got all these friends I'm like the pretty little sister so I just get oh your hair is so soft and your skin and like yo like that's why that shit made me laugh so hard now I'm about to go invoice all that motherfuckers like (laughs) owe me money (laughs) y'all so revolutionary and healing about just being able to like the same thing Ty because the amount of people because Nigeria I used to be like yeah I'm from Nigeria be like yeah that's so cool you know my therapist dogs 
brother's basketball coach volunteered in Madagascar. Like, y'all know him? Y'all know him? him? Yeah, we literally be taking the most intimate pains from our soul of like that. Literally, I cry at night, bro. This ain't cute. And then like the next day, we thinking about it, we be kikiing, making videos, going viral. Like, <laughs> oh, oh, this is so great. This is joy, though. That's uh, is Gabby. That- what do you do for joy? To be honest, like seeing black folks, specifically black, indigenous, trans, non-binary, queer. Uh, the folks that's not supposed to be happy being happy. The folks that's not supposed to be being happy being happy is, is joy for me, and it, because I can do it from anywhere. I can do it from anywhere. Like I don't, I don't have to do nothing. I don't have to move from my space. I get mad. Like let me go find somebody that's winning. But when I'm able to use my privilege to help those same folks, not help or just offer opportunity. Like no, I can't do it, but contact so and so. Those are things like being able to do that, being put in a position to do that when I can. That shit brings me joy. My joy is watching. You know, it's, it's, it's you know our, us our sibling that showed up to the rally on the 30th showed up in a fly ass blouse in some heels for the first time. Oh, in yeah, the I know, I know. They showed up and they were hot to death. That was like, that's what, like, I hear what you're saying with that. Like, to watch our people non-binary, non-gender conforming, like just experience joy that way in the midst of all of this anger and rage. Like that, that, like I still think about that moment because I was standing right behind them like, yes, I can't even wear heels like that. You know, like let me, you really get secondhand waves of it or something. Like I could just be near somebody or even mm-hmm. like you said, Gabby, just like watching from a phone from afar. Like you feel that, you feel that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Joy is the revolution, y'all. Oh, joy. What do I do for joy? I think, I don't even know. Honestly, if I'm having like, <laughs> if I'm having a bad day, if I'm having a rough time, one of the best things I can do to heal myself is just like, I've been thinking a lot about this lately. I don't know like what community it comes from or multi- maybe it's multiple communities, um, but just something about like reading like a movie, reading like a person, reading whatever. And by reading, I mean just like, I mean just like lightheartedly just like dragging something. Like I'll watch a film that like, I don't know, maybe it just like put something deep in me. But again, inconveniently just like, oh, so you could have said all things in this film and that's what you landed on. Or just like, I'll find some old music video that surfaced years ago and I'll be like, yo, I'm so sorry, but like, when was the Bluetooth in? Like, <laughs> just to be able to like hop in, a, <laughs> to be able to hop in a group chat, to be able to just like talk aloud to myself. I'll literally intentionally put on a movie or something just to be like, I'll watch like, I don't even know, something corny and just be like, oh, Hank Hill decides to sell propane and propane accessories. Look at him. Like, I just literally just need to, like, for joy, just be able to, like, somewhere speak. Because as a Black person, as a Black queer non-binary person, there are so many things that I can, like, say or be mad about or have any sort of feeling about that's not going to be policed or told that I'm being problematic or whatever it is when it's literally based in harm and, like, needing to reclaim strength and, like, set something said something correct so just to be able to like be loud about something to be able to just be petty about something feels so good to be able to like reclaim my emotions I suppose 
that's what makes me feel good. Hey, I love that. Yo, I do that too. Like nobody can watch no kind of like series of anything with me. Like I will highly critique every damn thing. And I'm like, oh, that's how you feel? Like, oh, is that what you thought? Like I'll just, I'll- and Anybody could get it. Doris the cat walked by the other night. <laughs> oh, oh, Doris. Man, I'm here, you here. here watching <laughs> with my baby niece so right? Like getting mad at the yes. little- Oh yeah. Whether it's my journal, whether it's a group <laughs> chat, like just being able to actually outlet this, it feels very good. So I just invite people to No, but like, have you ever seen like there's uh I can't remember oh bubble guppies like there's a little song they sing about going outside like why is that trap shit like why is that the jam. <laughs> Like I'm not going outside. Like I can't even act. Like Ty's just sitting at home. I'm concerned about Ty. It's been like two hours after a protest or something. I'm like, dang. I hope she's drinking water. Does she need somebody? Ty watching fucking bubble guppies. I can't. I can't. <laughs> Don't worry about what's happening over here, y'all. Don't worry about it. Yo. Oh, that's <laughs> joy. That's joy. That's it. Like, you got to find it somewhere. Oh, I'm here for it, y'all. Yo, like, this is just, this is joy. This conversation right now is damn joy for sure. Whew. All right. Um, my, like, my thing, like, I'm over here, like, just warm. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's where like, we need to be taking up all the space and I think that's it like when we take up space and part of me is like like watching folks around us like the sheer like it's not even terror that they feel it's just shock and awe about the sound of our laughter together right our, the sound of our laughter is medicine when we all show up like how we dress, how we move, how we sing, how we laugh. Like, I really love the sound of all of those things. Like, my favorite part, um, like, in recently, I'm going to give an example of this, was listening to Ryan lead us in calling our ancestors the other day. Mm -hmm. So first, she very delicately but forcefully dismissed all of the white folks in the space, which I really appreciate. And then the second piece to that was like making room for us to share these very vulnerable moments as black folks in this community, call in our ancestors, call in what we needed. I felt rejuvenated from that. Like everybody, the fact that um, one of those folks who shared their story said that they had never been in a space with that many black folks at one time before, that many brown folks. Like, that's joy for me, that we were able to years create. since they had been in a space with more than two. It yeah. Wild. We created home. We created home by showing up at a park, showing up with some food, music, and snacks. Like, that, those are those small, again, the joy, joy is the revolution, but those moments when we get that kind of feedback is the act of defining. At all colonizers, at all colonizers, that's how you build home on somebody else's land. You come, yeah. you build community, you give acknowledgement, gratitude, abundance, and then you clean up very, very well and leave at all colonizers. And that is how you make a home leave. in a space that's not yours. Yup, and uh, we're still waiting for the and leave part. <laughs> and leave. Give our land back. Leave, yeah. land back. <laughs> I'm here for that business. All right. Well, before I like cut us off, y'all, I'm going to take a screenshot of this because I'm sharing it later. So I need everybody on three to be ready to pose for this. Yo, one, two, and three. Hey. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just fantastic. Anyway, uh, but those were most of my questions. Like I had stuff like that were about goals that were about like, 
where we want to go a year from now, three years from now. But I feel like replicating this space all of the time everywhere is ultimately our collective goal, right? The joy, the love, the community, the family, the space. Like, I want this for the next generation, but I don't want them to have to struggle or fight for it, right? So I'm going to keep I'm going to keep doing what we're doing. I'm going to keep calling on y'all for accountability and for transparency and for support. And um, I think the thing that I want all of you to know, because I don't think I've ever said this out loud to any of you, is that on my social justice movement journey, my organizer journey, I've never felt so well supported and so well loved in this work as I do now. And I can't begin to tell you how empowering that is for me and how strengthening it is for me that all of our ancestors were like, we're going to bring these ones together. (laughs) And that, like, I lean on that wisdom, right? My intuition says that we're going to journey for a long time together. And I'm here for that revolution. I'm here for that. Uh, So I invite you in our last few minutes together to just um, share your closing thoughts. Like, where do we go from here? What do you want for the world? And then we'll call it a day. Who's moved? I want, I want folks, what I want for the world is to hire and pay black people. Me going forward, I want to also hire and pay, pay black people. Like, how do you help me? Help me do that. Um, But legit, outside of that, I just want us to all uh, keep finding homes in each other. Um, not just, the, you know, us on this call, but regardless of where we go to somehow stay socially connected, if even, even though we're physically distant. Um, that's what I want for the world. I love that. The only, I love y'all so much. I guess my closing thoughts would just be similar to both of those things. Like, I just love and support y'all so much. I know that there's so many voices and people who, like, aren't in this space who are, like, a larger affinity group of just, like, the trust and the community we lean on. And whether we look bigger, whether we look in this particular group, I've just never felt so much love and abundance. Um, I want the world to just see liberation, like Gabby was saying. So with that, I invite y'all to the commune. I will be creating when I can. Come, stay as long as you'd like. Take anything you need. Give anything you can. But I just know that this work never comes again, like I said, at a convenient time. And it will make you feel all the things. So just keep coming when it's good for you, when it's not so good for you. Um, And just keep doing all the things. We just... We're going to turn out all right. Liberation tastes good, and I can't wait to be able to have a full meal of it. Buki, what do you want to share for us? Oh, all the good things, all the good things. Um, I would like to, I would just say, like, honestly, um, I'm so grateful. I've literally, like, I've been, I've wanted, I'm probably one of the younger activists um, in the area. I, I definitely am um, some of the younger organizers and I've just never been so engulfed with so much love and light and leadership from all of y'all specifically in your own ways um whether it be Ty literally the first day I met you at the coalition I was like all right I kind of rock with her a little bit okay she's yeah, big auntie vibes 
Um, she's like, your daddy a Black Panther? I said, all right, all right. Nita, you know you my Capricorn other half, right? And Gabby, bro. Like, even in the beginning when I knew you, I was like, hey, yo, Deli, like, she tight. Like, where has she been? She go to Boise State. Like, if I knew you would have been at Boise State, I might have thought about Boise State a little bit longer. I wouldn't have gone, but I would have thought about it longer. <laughs> you said, hold up. <laughs> I'm going to consider it a minute longer. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I watched the movie yesterday, and I think it just kind of culminates in this moment where, like you were saying, Gabby, I just, I want, I just hope that everybody, right? Like, for you, Ty, like, I want to be your laughter. For you, Nisha, like, I want to be your strength, right? For you, Gabby, I want to be your home. And, you know, I want that for not just me, but for everybody, right? Where we can find some sort of solace, some sort of, you know, community amongst each other, you know, unapologetically and like very, very, very just truthfully and honest and very tra transparent. And so um, I'm just so glad and I'm just so excited to see, you know, um, just our fruition into all the things that we are destined for in this world, right, that has been already molded by our ancestors before we even know what they're going to call us for, right, before they even called us to be you know, in this amazing affinity group together, we didn't even think about it. Like, I literally didn't even pass my mind, but we're here, right? Mm -hmm. And we have so much growing to do, and we're going to find our groups, you know, however we find them growing, um, growing and stretching and just being, you know, in this liberated space together. So I thank y'all deeply. And yeah, Ty, I'm taking it back to you, my good sis. Hey, y'all. Um, Christian, we'll call you back in. Like, I think that's that's where we're at. All right, then. That was our roadmap to activism slash activism as survival episode. We want to, we want to thank Buki and Nisha and Ty and Gabby and some really important, smart stuff they brought to this podcast. Um, we're super fortunate to have them. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Up Is The Down Is The for our theme music. Thanks to Treefort Music Fest and all the fans and all the supporters. And you can find out more about what's going on with supporting Treefort in this pandemic time at treefortmusicfest.com. As well, you can find out more about this podcast and our podcast network, eease-drop.com. Um, we just want to say thanks to, gosh, all you for, for being, being strong, being well, being safe, being smart, and bringing it to the people. Do not stop. In September of 2021, we will see you at the fest. Have a good one. You said tomorrow, but tomorrow never came.